Okay. Uh, I think we are actually live now, everyone. Sorry about that. We had kind of an aborted attempt the first time, so we're on a different URL, um, but hopefully everyone can see that. Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma. Oh, and there's uh, there's also Katrina popping up. Uh, but I'm joined by Carrie. Carrie, say something. Hi, guys. Welcome. All right. There's Carrie. Um, oh, and I'm still, am I still masked? You're still, yeah, you got the logo over your face. Yeah, look at that. I'm, I, I forget to press the button. So uh, that just makes me seem old and technically inept. And uh, at least one of those things should be false. Anyway, um, welcome everyone to the program. Please follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Space. Subscribe on YouTube at Unsafe Space and go to unsafespace.com. Give us your email so when YouTube actually bans us instead of just fucks with us, uh, we'll be able to tell you where our content is. So um, today we, we, we kind of pitched this as mystery guest because we have someone coming on and we weren't sure whether he could be at 11 during the live show or not. There was some lack of clarity. So um, can I just say who it is? Confirmation. Yeah, say who I'm it is. I'm excited. So uh, we talked about a, a couple months ago, we both watched the documentary Hoaxed uh, by Mike Cernovich and were blown away by it. I was just, I, I think it's one of the best films that I've seen ever, best documentaries. And um, uh, anyway, Cernovich said he would be on our program. We just weren't sure if it was going to happen in time for the live show. So we didn't want to say he was going to be on and then not have him on. So um, we will hopefully sometime later today, if you follow the Twitter stream, uh, we'll be announcing if he's, he's supposed to be on sometime this afternoon. So we'll do this again. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So please, uh, if you're following us or whatever, uh, just try and check back. We'll, we'll stream, we'll, we'll tweet, we'll do all that stuff. We'll tell you when it is, uh, uh, when he's live, but, um, not so now this is like the worst introduction for our, our, our other guest who's, who's here as well. So I kind of feel bad for you, Katrina. Well, but, actually, Katrina uh, is in love, you're in hoaxed. Yeah. It's in hoax. Katrina is one of my dear, dear friends. She's got her own, um, channel and other stuff going on. Uh, she also has uh, her child with her at the moment. So she's gonna be in and out of the chat, but we're gonna talk with her a little bit about fake news and um, and hoaxed and that kind of stuff as well. So when she is available, she's, I think you saw her face maybe earlier. Um, she'll be back in a minute. She's just, like I said, in and out dealing with mom I, issues. I am, um, I'm, I'm here. I'm just gonna keep the camera oh. off. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, Yes. So Katrina, welcome to the show. Thank you for thank you for for filling in and being our um, female version of Mike Cernovich. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> fair. That's fair. You're not our female version of Mike Cernovich. So um, yeah. So we will talk can to Mike later guys, today. I know but, you guys um, are friends, but can you tell me? Um, uh, and people who are watching who may have seen the documentary, which are, you're in the film hoax, right? Uh, I am. Uh, I'm actually, I might be, uh, I was in it kind of a lot. I'm not one of the interview subjects. Uh, they show some footage uh, a couple of times from the riot at University of California at Berkeley that happened in response to Michael, uh, Michael Milo Yiannopoulos 
trying to talk there. This was uh, February 1st, 2017. So right after the inauguration. Um, and there was a ginormous riot. Antifa burned a bunch of stuff, beat up a bunch of people. And I was one of them. Um, and there's pretty good uh, dramatic video of me getting beaten and pepper sprayed and, you know, my hair kind of going everywhere. So uh, that clip was used quite a few times in hoax um, in their various montages and, and things like that. Um, and then they interviewed oh. Kiara Robles, who is the friend that I was attending that event with. So. Right. Now, I was going to say, so of that group, so there was you, Kiara, your husband, um, another guy who I won't name because I don't know if he wants to be named. A few other people yeah. in that group. Wait, about 10 uh, of us. Yeah. You've all, I think almost everyone has moved out of California. Yeah, Kiara's gone. She's moved out. Kiara is the one with the make Bitcoin great again hat who got uh, pepper sprayed. She's gone. Um, you and your husband were both attacked. Most of the footage of you is, is getting beaten over the head by an Antifa person with a stick. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you've left the Bay area. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like either they won or, uh, it's a good strategic move to get the hell out of the Bay area. Uh, I <laughs> um, I think there's no question that they've won, uh, at least for now. Um, and me moving has nothing to do with it. Right. I mean, we have, I successfully identified two of the people who attacked us. Um, the police would not arrest either of them. Um, the, we're currently pursuing the matter in civil court and the judge dismissed the charges against one of them. Um, apparently. Why, why would the police not pursue criminal charges? Wow. Well, um, it's not, so there, there's kind of, well, I, yeah, I can tell you exactly why. Uh, so at a subsequent event in response to what happened to us, uh, there were a couple of things that have been dubbed the battle of Berkeley, uh, right. And in one really big one where, uh, the right one uh, quite beautifully. Uh, you know, there was massive, massive street fighting and, you know, Antifa, Antifa was uh, thoroughly repelled. Um, a bunch of people were arrested. A bunch of Antifa were arrested by police. They were, what they did was witnessed by police, right? They were captured on the scene. There's video, all this kind of stuff. They did pursue charges against them. They took them to trial and they were acquitted. Um, it's a complete waste of time to try and pursue charges against these people, even if the police can get a cushy enough case that the prosecutor is willing to go forward with it, uh, that the prosecutors and the judges and the other parties don't come up with some sort of, you know, ideologically motivated uh, shenanigans to avoid pursuing charges, avoid, um, you know, letting things move forward. At the end, uh, the jury will basically nullify it because the entire town is these types of people. Uh, you know, they're either the, oh, people, either the people giving a, them spiritual Berkeley. support. So yeah, yeah. So no, we, I mean, the question they have like videos of some of these people though. I mean, like the yep. evidence is pretty yep. substantial. Substantive yep, it's right. it's pretty direct. I mean, you have people. You either have people in town who you know, a la Occupy and Black Lives Matter, are just anti-police. Um, so anyone that the police are trying to put away, they will, um, you know, not they will not help that happen. Um, and you have a, a massive, massive machine. I mean, the mayor is friends with Yvette Falarka, right? Who is not only the, you know, uh, a leader of BAM, which is basically a, another sector of Antifa. 
Um, By any means necessary, which is like a, another arm of Antifa. Right? right. I mean, she's she's not even she's not even subtle about it. Right. She goes on television, national television and says outright, yes, I participated in this violence. Yes, I wanted this violence to happen. I think this is justified and I'll do it again. Um, and she's friends wow. with the mayor. And so what, you what a cesspool. Like, <laughs> no wonder people are leaving. It's a great description in general. Well, literally, it's very literal at this point, right? And of course, that's that's not unrelated either. Uh, I mean, the people who what, are- you mean the poop on doing, the streets in San Francisco? <laughs> right, well, and in Berkeley, and in all of these places, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, sanctuary cities, uh, decriminalize defica public defecation and public urination, uh, as Denver did, to avoid arresting illegal immigrants. Um, there's- Oh, is that why they do it? Part of this, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. I didn't it's realize there was a part and parcel of the same thing and the same sort of agenda uh, and the same, you know, oh. it all kind of comes back to the same people and they're not, um, they're not, at the very least, they're not people who have the interests of Americans at heart, um, but in many cases, they're not even Americans themselves, right? So, right. so why would they care Fair. what happens to Americans and American values? <laughs> okay. Uh, I see your daughter has some things to add. Um, so yeah, she's just very grateful that I got her out of there. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so I mean, you know, you're kind of uh, you're one of the like we said, you're one of the clips that's played over again, over and over again in hoax. And hoax does address um, some of the antifas violence, um, but it's more it's more than just a you know the movie is more than just about uh, antifa violence and left political bias it's in in media or left left any media bias it's about media narrative and bias in general including um what we might call more kind of i won't say conservative but uh yeah, conservative kind of republican bias when it comes to like supporting war and that kind of stuff um have you uh have you paid attention to uh the Mueller stuff i've been reading this report i mean it came out today and it's kind of exciting Everyone's talking about it, but there's a lot of there's a lot of craziness going on. Have you been paid attention to this, Katrina, or no? No, I'm a mom. I don't pay attention to anything. <laughs> You've got real work to do. <laughs> yeah. By the way, people who com uh, comment in the chat, yeah, we know you can't see Cat. She's sometimes disabled her video because uh, I have a clingy baby dealing yeah. with her child at the moment. So um, yeah, if if she can enable it, she will. But um, in, out of respect for privacy she sometimes disables her video um by the way katrina don't where put your kids on the internet don't do it huh <laughs> yeah yeah where by the way just i forgot to do this we usually do this with guests where can people um find your stuff because you have a show that you do at least every week with john de la rose and you've got you're doing other stuff online it's it's not like you're actually not paying attention um <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. So I have my own channel. Um, so my, my handle online is S misanthrope, like the letter S and then the word misanthrope. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I don't do my Twitter anymore because I don't want to feed that beast. Um, and I'm much happier for it. So <laughs> recommend that to everybody else. Do you follow people on Twitter or just don't and don't tweet or do you just not use it at all? Um, I don't really even open it, but I am, but the account is still active. So if, if I change my mind, I am there, but yeah, if I do. You I get shoot banned, occasionally. You can jump on there and yeah. Right. 
I stream occasionally on the SS Anthrope YouTube channel, and then I stream Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon Pacific on John Delarose's YouTube channel on uh, what we call the lunch stream, which is not the most creative name, but it does let you know when it happens. So, fair enough. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna let I, I, we're gonna keep talking to you, but I wanna I wanna chat about the Mueller report um, for a minute, and I know it's not a top of mind for you, and I know you're dealing with uh, the little one for a sec. So, I'm gonna talk about the Mueller report. Jump in if you want to, but don't feel left out. We're coming back to you. Um, okay. So, uh, Carrie, mm -hmm. you noticed something uh, today. So the so wait, should we get? I guess we should get people up to speed if you're not paying attention. Um, the Mueller report's been released. A redacted version. It's not actually very heavily redacted. I've downloaded it in it's 400 pages or something. I haven't read all of it, but I've read some of it. Um, it's, uh, it's, not, it's pretty lightly redacted. Um, it's not a huge. It's not a huge deal. Um, but it's been released, and Bill Barr did a um, Bill Barr did a uh, press conference today, talking about the Mueller report and. Um, it's it's broken into two parts. The volume one is about uh, collusion, Russian Russian collusion, actually Russian um, interference in the 2016 election, which includes possible collusion by the Trump campaign or anyone else or any other Americans. Um, and volume two is just about uh, basically potential obstruction of justice um, issues with respect to the Trump campaign and these kind of uh, in this investigation. And uh, Carrie, you pointed out, so, so the, the conclusion is no, no collusion, uh, no conspiracy by any Americans, including anyone in the Trump campaign. So it, it was a Russia hoax. The media has been lying to you for two years. Um, there's nothing there. It was a big nothing burger uh, as the, uh, what's his name at CNN? Van uh, Jones. Admitted. Yeah. But um, however, uh, the media is really, they're kind of, so the, the, the obstruction part, the, the special counsel, uh, Mueller basically just said, well, uh, we're not making a statement about, um, our, our, it's not our position to decide. Basically he's saying, it's not our position to decide whether to prosecute on obstruction. And so we're not even gonna really make a determination about whether we think obstruction happened or not. Here are the instances where you could argue one way or another, like here, here are the- here Potential. Are the, potential areas and here's the legal framework around it and um you know that that's that's it right so um oh cool cats back uh so um so that's what uh that's what they they said and the media has been well their, the their media has been it's not no conclusion it's like obstruction Possibly. I actually, I actually think this uh, dovetails nicely with talking about hoax the documentary because we're getting to watch the media in real time push a false narrative or try to um, try to reestablish this false the, the false narrative that is currently falling apart. So they, um, I mean, the the headlines you would think would be saying breaking no collusion, but what I'm seeing on both CBS. And on CNN on the scroll was breaking, you know, 10 potential uh, areas of, of oh, obstruction. Stop the president from doing what he wanted to do. Everyone, thank you so much. Yeah. 
our special I mean, here, let, let me, uh, this is just uh, live. I'm just going to do this live for just a second. I don't, want, I don't want to get copyright in trouble, but like copyright claims. This is what, oh, maybe they're going to go to a commercial. Yeah, we never switch. mind. Um, CNN is just like constantly obstruction, 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 obstruction. That's all they're Chevy. talking about. Um, it's just so delusional. Um, well, they, and it's ridiculous if you know anything about these types of laws because there is always obstruction, right? I mean, there's a really important book yeah. that everyone should read called Three Felonies a Day. And the oh, title that's a great book. It's a great book. And the title of that book is basically saying that literally every human being in the United States commits at least three felonies a day. <laughs> and that's based, that's true. <laughs> like that. um, and anytime you talk to the feds, anytime you talk to the FBI, um, you almost certainly could be then thrown in jail for committing a felony because there is always something they could come up with to say that you committed obstruction. There are so many people that they've investigated where they've found in the end they committed absolutely no crimes. They had no uh, malintents. They had no intent to cover up anything. But people, um, you know, will say things that um, maybe were not precisely true um because they misspoke or because they misremembered or for whatever reason and memory's they have basically right. yeah they, memory's not perfect and they have basically full power themselves to decide whether like when that means that you lied to them or you tried to obstruct the investigation it could be because you were just sometimes you don't even know what the investigation is about right so sometimes you're not even trying to derail their investigation you're just like you know talking because you know certain stuff is private uh, or something like that, or you don't think it's material, but it's up to them whether it's material. Um, and really, it's like they're backing into convictions. This is like well known, right? There's no, there's no value to putting Martha Stewart in jail, right? That's just something that overzealous uh, investigators and prosecutors do because it gets them in the news, it gets them a promotion, um, and they get to feel like they're they're big, powerful um, people instead of sniveling little weasels like they actually are. <laughs> Right, which is which is what it looks like probably happened in George Papadopoulos's case and maybe even Flynn's case, where, um, you know, they, they, they just, you know, it's 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 almost like, uh, before you had this meeting with the person of interest X, what did you do? I went to the ice cream shop. What kind of ice cream did you get? Mint chocolate chip. Did anything else? No. And then later they're like, oh, you got whipped cream on it. You didn't say. That you had been talking like that's you lied, right? Because we had, we said anything else, and you said no, and it's like, I, yeah, it wasn't material. Um, but they get to decide whether that's. I mean, I'm 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 being hyperbolic with that example, but um, with but not by much. No, and in Trump's case, um, what CNN seems to be going on about here is uh, they've got like um. There's a lot of instances where Trump, I mean, we all know how Trump is, right? He thinks out loud. He proposes things kind of randomly and or or just kind of see what he can get away with. Like, can we do this? Can we do that? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and and so he asked for things from people that worked for him. And some of them, those people refused to do it. And there's a question of like, well, were those things he was asking for attempts at obstruction of justice? So, for example, he was like, well, uh, can we just fire the guy? Cause this is like, it's, it's bothering my presidency. And they're like, well, no, you can't just do that. And so the, you know, CNN's latching onto this, like, aha, he tried to fire him. It's like, I don't know if I, if I were president, I would surround myself with people who told me what I can't do. 
Um, and then I would suggest a whole bunch of crap without worrying about um, whether I can or can't do it because that's what they're for. Well, this is I mean, essentially would be the same thing as saying that if you are, if the police are charging you or thinking about charging you with some sort of crime, you can't talk to your lawyer about like, well, can I go over here? Like, is it safe to like get, get rid of my cell phone uh, at this point? Or what, like, do I have to hand over these things that they ask for? Like what, you know, like, um, what are my rights? Like, what are the things that I are actually like that I can do? And what are the things that I can't do? Uh, because obviously you would prefer to like do any, just about anything you can to make the thing go away. So like, right. Obviously pref Trump would obviously prefer to not have the investigation. That doesn't mean exactly. guilty. That just means like, and so, and so actually to that point, CNN was also doing this weird cherry picking. So they, I'm going to read a statement. So they, they, they put out this, that they're citing this uh, thing, which is in the Mueller report. Um, when President Trump learned Mueller was appointed as special counsel, Trump, quote, slumped back in his chair and said, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. And but that's where CNN leaves it. What they don't say is the rest of the quote, which is also in the Mueller report, where he says everyone. tell." So, by the way, so that implication from CNN is like, oh, he's guilty. I'm fucked. There's an investigation. I'm, I'm screwed. Right. However, the rest of his quote is. Everyone tells me if you get one of these independent councils, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years, and I won't be able to do anything. Oh, that context is a little bit different than how CNN applied it. It's not an admission of guilt. It's not like, a, oh, I'm messed, you know, I'm effed because I did this. It's, oh, I'm effed because this is going to stall my presidency and it's going to, you know, derail what I want to do. And that's what he's, it's very clear what he's trying to say there. Right. Um, and, and by the way, it did. I mean, it did stall a lot of things. It has been a distraction. Absolutely. And it has um, it has actually put in the minds of people. So even though they came out today and Barr said in the in the press conference, repeated over and over, there was no collusion, no evidence of collusion by Trump or anyone on Trump's campaign. And he repeated it several times, so much so that CNN convened a panel of eight people who all agreed with each other, no, nobody in disagreement. And their big thing that they, they were really upset about, it was like watching them melt down in real time. They were really upset that Barr repeated that. In fact, one of them said, you know, he repeated it six or seven times. That's, that seems excessive. And then another, another CNN talking head said, it seems excessive that he repeated it over and over. It even seems suspicious that they, he repeated it over and over. And I just, I'm taking away from that, like, you guys spent two years repeating tens of thousands of times the idea that there was Russian collusion, so much so that you've planted it, you've implanted it in people's heads and they believe it now as fact. So that when they come out and do a press conference and say, hey guys, there was no collusion, you think it's, it's, you think it's excessive that they have to repeat that six or seven times? Six or seven times isn't enough, apparently, because I'm seeing friends on the left already spiraling online trying to prove that there still was collusion well there was collusion it just they didn't prove that it was a legal collusion you know what are you talking about like they're, right. they, yeah it's ridiculous yeah. i've heard people say that and they even were saying this over a year ago i think that it should be in put in textbooks now immediately today that russia manipulated our election in 2016 
Right. Well, according to the Mueller report, there was Russian interference. They just wasn't coordinated with Trump in any way um, or his campaign, which is fine. But I imagine Russia's been manipulating elections of ours as much as they can for decades. We do the same thing. Like, of course, it's like that's that's how like intelligence and propaganda works. You. But this is why I mean, that's also how the domestic intelligence and propaganda works. Right. I mean, that's why they want to control yes. this machine. They want to control the language. They can take something totally hard. Like you're going to see it. You're going to like I, I wish I could come up with a real example, but I you could see if they wanted to a year from now, it's going to be damning and like career ruining and and absolutely just maybe even put you in jail if you ever ate a lollipop like i like they they could do that and they would do that if it was convenient to them i mean look what they did to the okay symbol right right like look what they did to a cartoon frog it's like they can take literally anything they want and just assert that it is something evil and people will buy it People will buy it and they control enough of the machine and of the infrastructure that they can push through whatever they want in that respect. So this At least is actually for now. really important. Yeah, no, I think you're right, Katrina. And actually it's getting me, it's gotten me to think about it because um, in preparation for, for talking to Cernovich later today, um, Carrie and I both rewatched Hoax. And, um, you know, he reminds us that like this, so first of all, it's not just, Russia that puts propaganda out. The U.S. government puts propaganda out and actually is allowed to now because they've changed the law. And um, the media is, has been historically lying to us. It's not there. In fact, he interviews someone in the movie where uh, I forget the guy's name, but he's he's a, an expert here and has done research. And he says, you know, this idea that there was a golden age of journalism is largely false. Like, yeah, there was some better journalism, but there was never like this uh, narrative free, completely objective, uh, facts only era of, of magical journalism. Um, and, you know, he cites the Iraq war, the first Iraq war um, and um, and the second Iraq war. I mean, you can look back farther than that. If you look at newspapers that were owned in the 19th and early 20th century, they were 100% owned by certain business interests. And they were explicit, almost like very openly used as propaganda tools, right? It was a, it was, if you own that platform, it was a way to attack your enemies, whether they were political enemies or business enemies and, you know, promote your friends and promote your own business. That's, that's what it was. That's what it's always been. Lyndon Johnson did that. Um, he owned, um, you know, a significant chunk of the media and used that to launch himself into power related to that. I mean, people are like, Oh, what well, was different? You know, that was yellow journalism back in the day. It was different later in the 20th century. Uh, no, we know for a fact now, right. Uh, Oh God, who was the guy? I think it was well, it Dan Rather? Um, I was oh, trying to think who was, who was the one who was shown the video of the Kennedy assassination. They took a big name, trusted news anchor. I really think it was Dan rather, but maybe he's not old enough. Um, they showed him the video of the Kennedy assassination and he lied to the American people. He a hundred percent lied. He describes what, instead of showing the video to the people, right? They, sh- they're like, well, we'll take someone you trust. We'll show it to him and he'll tell you what it, what it showed. Right. And right. That, that guy is a known fraud now for other reasons. Uh, but at the yep. very beginning of his career, that's sort of the reason he had the successful career because they, because he capitulated, he agreed to be owned 
right? And put out the information yeah. that's supposed to be out there. And now this is known, right? Now the video is out. Anyone can go watch the video and anyone can go see what he said about it and know that he lied. Uh, and still so many people will fill their heads with this nonsense. So many of these people are like, well, I mean, the anchor that I like see on my local news surely right. isn't lying to me or yeah. he I like right. surely isn't lying to me. It's like, no, like there's, there's too much money in lying to people right now. Yeah. Can I They're ask you a question, Kat? So I know Carter knows you personally, but um, the, the, what is your, you've, you've watched the show a few times. Do so you know that I was like, uh, ensconced in the in the SJW part of the left for about yes. 20 years I and I used it. to yeah and I used to believe CNN you know was like the ministry of truth they're telling me they're telling it to me straight until the Iraq war that was the first time I started doubting them but so what is your background and 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 political belief have you had any awakenings did you have you always kind of been distrustful of mainstream media or just yeah, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> That's why my camera's not on. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. So I've always been kind of like libertarian, right? Um, so my political views have oscillated some, um, but it's always kind of been in that general direction. You know, I don't like people telling me what to do. I have no interest in telling other people what to do. And I have a really hard time psychologically understanding people who feel differently um about that and that's something i'm working on because clearly um i'm not the norm <laughs> so i need to understand how to navigate that world um but as far as you know trusting people i got a very this is a good example i had some experiences when i was young and i was lucky to have um, a parent who was uh, very open to different types of information right i mean i i read I didn't read it, but I, I was informed about the contents of uh, Charles Murray's The Bell Curve when I was when it came out and I was a child, uh, right? Like uh, my dad is a very uh, intellectually curious guy. He's not afraid to read the you know, quote unquote dissident like materials or anything like that, right? And he would he would kind of tell me about it. So I had an experience in either fourth or fifth grade um, where we were you know we were learning about slavery for probably the umpteenth time because of course nothing important happened in American history except for slavery and there was an article in the Smithsonian magazine from um you know this is actual history like this is how you really do history right like primary sources they went through diaries of slave traders um so the closest thing to eyewitness accounts that we have of things that happened and they were basically reconstructing. So like, okay, what did the slave trade actually look like on the ground? Like what did slave traders do? In con and, and what we found out, what they showed in that was here's the relationship that we have with the local leaders um, in the on the west coast of Africa, like the um, the tribal leaders, the kings and stuff like that. Uh, here's the kind of people who sold us the slaves. You know, here's the kind of people they were selling us. They were selling us their retarded children. They were selling us people they captured in conflict. Uh, they were selling us, um, you know, like like criminals, like degenerate people that they wanted to get rid of and things like that. And we paid for them and we got it, you know, from them and we took them. Um, meanwhile, in school, we watched Roots. Um, and we watched only the beginning of Roots. The rest of Roots is actually accurate. The beginning of Roots is, is basically nonsense. Um, so the beginning of Roots, it portrays the slave trade as uh, white slavers, like a handful of them basically show up on a ship and they just pick off one by one, like kidnap, like blacks running free through the forest basically, and then drag them across on the ship. And I was like, well, that doesn't really jive. Uh, you know, and I kind of talked about it with my dad and my dad was like, yeah, like, well, economically, does that sound like a good business model? <laughs> Is that going to be terribly viable for like, you know, a handful of people to come over and like risk, uh, you know, 
the whole big tribe eventually catching them and uh, and spending so much energy and you know the risk of diseases and all of this. Um, and so comparing the two in the article, we're like, no, so actually this is made up. Uh, and I took it to my teacher. I brought the article. Sorry, the story is so long. I took the article to my okay. teacher. I brought it to school. Uh, again, this is fourth or fifth grade, right? So I'm like a wide-eyed child, like very bright, very beloved by my teachers, very obedient, very German, right? Um, doing very well in the Prussian education system that we have here. And uh, I bring this paper and tell my, and give it to my teacher and tell her like, hey, I thought you might want to see this because the thing that you showed us yesterday was wrong, right? And, and right. here's the true thing. And she took it from me and uh, said I was not to mention it to anyone and I was not going to be allowed to have it back until the end of the day. Wow. I would never bring something like that to school again. It was the Smithsonian Magazine, right? This wasn't oh like God. American Renaissance or like anything remotely controversial at the time. And this was a teacher I trusted. I mean, in many ways, she was a great teacher. I still learned a great deal from her. She was excellent at teaching grammar. Um, but, you know, she was fully committed to a narrative, you know, and I didn't understand it fully at the time. But it did tell me in that moment that I was like, oh, like, so there's this very significant sense in which what's true doesn't matter and is not important to people. Um, and in particular, not important to authority figures and important to adults. Um, and I definitely think that was formative for me. I mean, I've gone through many iterations of thinking, well, these people are the good guys. I can trust them. They wouldn't lie to me. And then later I find out, you know, they didn't. But what I did learn, or they did lie to me, but what I did learn from that experience was once I do realize someone lied to me uh, is to take it very seriously. And not not give second chances and not, you know, keep saying like, well, they're right half the time. So I'm going to keep listening. The problem is if they lie, you never know which part is a lie. You get exposed to it. It, gets, it takes ages. I mean, I'm still picking lies out of my brain uh, from what I was told by adults when I was, you know, a child and in school and things like that. Um, it's going to be. So where do you get your news? Like what? I don't. It, That's why I don't know about any of this stuff, you know. <laughs> don't pay attention to news at all anymore. I'm in a cave. Um, I don't live in a cave. I live on a mountain. Um, but anyway, um, uh, how do I get it? Um, I haven't come up with a brilliant solution to all of this. I got to say, like, uh, primary sources are the dream. So when there's something like the Mueller report, if you can read it yourself, um, I think that's a good right. call. Um, even though it might put you in jail, you know, read manifestos, certain, certain unnamed manifestos. Um, no, I, I don't know. I wrote a whole article about reading that manifesto. <laughs> Totally, yeah. totally agree. Well, you don't live in New Zealand. <laughs> if you live I in New Zealand, you sneakier about it, but. Yeah, I told Carter I have a folder of manifestos, so any that you need to read. <laughs> oh, that's a really good one, actually, because that's a big one. I mean, it is so interesting. Like, uh, you know, one of my friends just recently read the Communist Manifesto for the first time, and after she read it, she was just like, how is anyone a communist? <laughs> I was like, well, to be fair, most of them don't actually read this document. Uh, but like, it does put things in an interesting perspective, right? Because sometimes you hear horrible, horrible things about this or that or whatever. And then you read it and you're like, ah, this isn't really what they said. Other times they tell you like, oh, here's this brilliant document and you read it and it's just like unhinged. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like, how did, how does anyone like, how are you not driven out of polite society for saying you're a communist? Like after, you know, reading yeah. that document, like, I, I felt that way about, uh, I tried to read Kant's critique of pure reason because you know everyone's yeah oh, you should such, such an influence of philosopher like what a like what a tangled mess of like i don't i don't understand yeah. how his brain works but i'm pretty sure it was not functioning on all cylinders <laughs> not um, to like, completely defend him it is a little tricky with the translation 
Um, yeah, fair, fair. It's translated, but still. Even people who are native speakers more or less have the same experience. And, you know, allegedly it's brilliant and I, whatever. I, it is brilliant, but I can't. Use Pollock it. is alleged, allegedly awesome art, right? <laughs> yeah. You just don't appreciate it, Kat. It's that's, that's, no. that's the, there's that second handed, like, well, if you don't, if you don't get it, then that's, that's your problem. It's like, no, no. Like, if you write a book, average people should be able to understand what the hell you're talking about. And if they can't, that's your fault. Yeah, I generally agree with that. I do think it's on the artist for the most part to be understood. Although at this point with public schooling, artists can put together some pretty uh, clear and explicit and well-crafted stuff and people still don't get it. True. Uh, shout out to Zack Snyder. Fair, fair. When I said average, I guess I meant like relatively, <laughs> relatively well-read, intelligent people should be able to understand it. To so uh, above average. <laughs> Yes. But you know. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I misspoke. <laughs> oh no, we're gonna have to arrest you for that. Above modern day average, put it that way. No, it yeah, wasn't wrong sure. think, was it? It might have been. You're uh, yeah, I mean I think people back in the day could do it, right? I mean, it's just crazy to think about like like Moby Dick was a bestseller. Like you oh my gosh, you know right. what's crazy? What did I read? I read some um like letters that some just common soldiers, you know, from the Confederacy wrote to Robert E. Lee um to thank him basically and it is astonishing the level of literacy of like you know what i don't know what those people even could like farmers like most of them had to have been yeah. farmers. we have this idea that people never read right we have this idea of like oh if you went out west like all you had was the bible and like no one knew anything it's like oh there's people who knew latin right like like yeah you didn't have a huge library you didn't have all that stuff available but that's like that's not the be all end all of intelligence either and that doesn't mean you don't learn how to write. In fact, it makes that stuff more important. One thing that I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to after the EMP attack is kind of this return of uh, people making their own entertainment. Um, like, you, like you read like Jane Austen, right? And all the women have to learn how to sing and play piano and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, this is hoity-toity. It's not hoity-toity. It's because you're going to be bored out of your mind if you don't have someone in your house who can do that stuff. Right? I agree. Now it's this stupid exercise that we force our kids to do piano because they need to get a scholarship to go to college where they're not going to do as well as the Asian kids and they're going to be frustrated anyway. And like, you know, oh, it's going to help us learn language. It's going to help us learn math. It's like, no, we were doing this because like, it's cool. Like, it's cool to have these skills. It's cool to be able to do a backflip, you know, and we don't like do like we've gotten so stratified in this weird way where it's like you're either like in the Olympics or you're like, like wasting away in a basement. You know? <laughs> right. And it's yeah, it's yeah. not it's not worth it if you can't make the Olympics. Just don't right. Do it exactly. This is um, why there are yeah. some. I I did this. Uh, I went to this LARPing convention years ago. LARPing for people know is live action role. No play. way. Yeah. LARPing convention. Yeah, it was it was called WeirdCon, and so there are all these different LARPing groups there. And I, most people, I think, if they if they just know LARPing from popular culture, they think of the people dressed up like superheroes or like uh people sword fighting, right? Yeah, Renaissance but, and Renaissance. Yeah. But there were futuristic ones and everything. But the one that was most interesting to me was there was one that met in Santa Monica, California, and they were there and they were they were a group of LARPers who basically LARPed like they were living under the queen and immediately there was a queen and you had to come in even to film her. We had to ask permission to speak to the queen and to to get, you know, her signature on this document. And they had a page who went and explained it to her. But my point is, everyone in that LARP had to learn a skill set from back then. So, and then the queen would give you like, you learn needlepoint. Like they learned all of these, like you're saying, like I learned to play the harp and they would get badges and stuff. So it was actually, it was a very useful LARPing. It wasn't just fantasy. It was like, these people are learning different types of arts. 
you know? Yeah, I recently just learned more about kind of that world and Renaissance fairs and stuff and the amount of the people who do it with like, like full certified authenticity, right? Who make these costumes out of only materials that existed at the time and all that stuff. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, One of the things I really like to do, uh, I, I don't know why I adopted this, but like, I like to make sure that I appreciate modern conveniences. Uh, and so I will try to periodically just do something kind of the old way. Um, and I especially like to do that with cooking, right? So whatever it is I like to make, I try to be like at least one time, like make croissants by hand. Like that would be my tip for people. If you want to appreciate the modern world, like make croissants completely by hand, like one time, and you will be just so satisfied. <laughs> Yeah. With all modern conveniences, like you'll never complain again <laughs> about like, you know, I don't know, something like not being like super convenient and easy to you. Um, yeah, people just don't but get you take a lot of that stuff for granted, right? Like just like a croissant is a buck fifty at Starbucks or whatever. And it's like the amount of energy and expertise that has to go into making that is quite incredible, especially if you're gonna grow the wheat yourself or what like. Yeah, I mean, you can go as far back as you want, as crazy as you want, right? Like, that's that's kind of where I'm heading. I've got, like, the farming stuff going on um, in my life now. So I'm not going to grow any wheat. Um, so I'll never <laughs> I'll never be you doing that. You need a lot of wheat but... in order to make a croissant. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you need a lot of land yet. to grow a lot of wheat. It's Yeah, it's not good. You're setting up your own farm. I really, I adore that. That's awesome. I'm yeah, envious. So far, so good. I, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, it's expensive and, like... It's, it's also interesting um, because you kind of see how like uh, how fragile certain aspects of, of life are, right? It's like you could have one year, everything goes great. You get like a gazillion tomatoes or whatever. And then you could have a year where just something comes in. There's nothing you can do. Like my neighbor's greenhouse, like completely dead. Like, and it's not just dead for the one year. He had to leave it for like a couple of years to like recover, right? And he's just this year, like going back to growing some things in the greenhouse again. It's just because some infestation got in there. And like, he didn't catch it soon enough. And it's like, it's gone. Wow. It makes you appreciate in like many, on many different levels. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think actually that would have political implications because a lot of, there is a lot of confusion between uh, Katrina, you know, this, uh, this term, but like the metaphysical versus the man-made, right. Where there's like, there's a lot of confusion in a lot of people's minds, or, or I don't even say it's confusion. They just don't think about it of, uh, you know, the difference between um, an X-ray and a blade of grass and it's like okay well the blade of grass is just there and you can go pick it and it's there whether or not people are there maybe actually grass might be engineered but i don't think so uh depends on the grass right but the x-ray someone had to invent the x-ray like there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into that and there's this idea that like i'm entitled to stuff right and without this understanding of all this like all that stuff that you're quote entitled to is really just someone else's work um, all of it. So, um, yeah, it's a, I think it would probably have good political implications to, to do this. Yeah. I mean, people I didn't do remember. That. Yeah. Do you remember, um, we have a mutual, uh, maybe I won't want to say who his, what is it? You know, we have a mutual friend who, uh, I remember he made a bunch of money cause he sold a company and he took like a bunch of time off and, uh, he wanted to go and he was like, I wonder if I could go make something I forget what he wanted to make, but it was something really simple. And he was like, I wonder if I could just like go out in the woods with nothing. And like, what would I need? What are the steps that I would need to do to, to make this thing? And I forget what the thing was, but it was pretty simple. I think it was like a pretty simplistic metal tool or something. It wasn't like, you know, anything that involved electricity or whatever. Right. And 
this guy was smart. He still is. Uh, and like his conclusion after a bunch of researchers, like, oh my God, I could never create this. <laughs> like <laughs> my entire, I could spend my entire life trying to do this. I would never be able to do this. There's so much, so much of what we take for granted is just built on other people's labor and um, other people's insights. And uh, well, that's uh, what civilization that is, right? And right, that's right. So scary about the time that we're in right now and the attitudes that people have because the focus has become so short term. There's such a hedonistic attitude in our culture today that people just very blatantly, very explicitly don't care to contribute to that store of knowledge, right? They're perfectly happy to benefit from it. They're perfectly happy to be like, oh, look, there's, you know, metal things are just everywhere. We're throwing them away, right? Like, like metal, like all the work, right? All the difficulty of extracting that stuff from the earth and turning it into something that's useful and all the like generations and generations and generations of humans who had to figure that out. And now to us, most of it is junk, right? Like most of it is trash. Uh, plastic is yeah. similar. Um, so many things are just parts of like our everyday life that um, it's hard to even function. Uh, actually, I think it'd be impossible to function. Um, if you took away plastic and metal, um, you wouldn't be able to function at anywhere near a modern we level. Have a modern society at all? No. Right. You wouldn't have any of that at all. And people are just very cavalier about that. Um, they don't, you know, they. It's just like, well, I'm good. They they might at best case scenario they may believe that they should at least sort of replace what they directly consume, right? So maybe they don't believe in going on welfare or something like that. Um, they, you know, want to earn their enough money to pay for their own expenses. But that's the thing. It's like you, like you, like your friend discovered, right? Your, your, your millionaire, intelligent, successful friend, like you literally can't actually do that because we're living on top of this giant pile of other labor and achievement from people who, you know, what's the, what's the phrase they like to do, but it's like, you know, planting trees that, you know, you'll never enjoy the shade of, uh, right. Maybe your right. children won't even like focusing on your grandchildren. And that's the scary thing about like the low fertility rates in the West, right. Because it's not just the fact that like, well, we're not going to have Westerners anymore. It's also the fact that um, we don't have, uh, the people who are alive currently are not going to be as invested in the future because why would you plant that tree if you don't have children and grandchildren? Uh, oh, wow. That's a and great that's, point. That's I have never thought of it that way. way. Right. Like Keith and I were talking about this yesterday. Like uh, the, the it, just the interest on the debt is, uh, <laughs> is it number four on our like spent expenditures? I had some like huge percentage of our expenditures and this is what happens when you, you're right, Katrina, when you don't have kids, right? It's kind of like, hey, by the way, you're borrowing this from future generations and you can just kind of shrug and be like, I don't care. Who the, who yeah, the hell cares about future generations? I don't have kids. And it's like, well, I care. You care. Like, even if I didn't have a child, I would care about future generations. But um, certainly in a much more tangible way, anyone with children is like, well, well, crap. Like, I don't want her paying for social security. Um, right. And, and, and obviously she can't, I mean, social security will fall apart before my daughter's asked to pay for it, but that's a separate issue. Um, but it does, it leads to all this, it leads to all this borrowing um, and printing of money, which is also basically uh, a tax on the poor and long-term borrowing. Um, kind of and it creates this rent seeking class who is similarly detached from the nature of labor, right? Because they just make money off of interest. Uh, they, and they yes. don't do anything like, and I, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, I'm anti-investment. Like I like that, uh, other people's money movie, you know, and, and I think there are, 
investment is obviously oh, I love that movie. important. Like there, but there's investment that actually is work, um, and that represents an a value add. And then there's just blatant rent seeking of people who are contributing absolutely nothing, um, and and then not only earning a living but earning the best living in the country right? That are like the absolute richest people there. They're not people who are actually producing something and they're not enabling the production of other people. They're just enabling the consumption, right? They're just sitting atop the consumption pile. Um, right. Yeah. It's pretty gross. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and I would just want to clarify, I, I've realized, I don't actually, Katrina, you and I have had talks about capitalism before. Um, I've realized that like, even though I'm, I'm right to call what I I'm talking about capitalism. I realize when I use the term capitalism, people think of like this mixed economy oligarchy with like Chase Bank sitting on top of the, uh, you know, uh, the the system, you know, in bed with the feds. And like, that's not what I mean. And I, I'm wondering if like, I should actually start using words like voluntarism, which is basically capitalism, but uh, it doesn't have the connotation of um, what I think people perceive as capitalism. Now, I think people think of Uncle Pennybags or money, whatever his name is, like with the monocle and the top hat, like what you just described. I think that like people think that's capitalism. Right. Describe volu voluntarism. Well, voluntarism is technically just what capitalism really is, but voluntarism is just uh, the non. It's 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 a it's a system where there's no uh, initiation of the use of force, right? So um, there is no uh, there's there's no government enforcement of anything like interest rates or um currency. I don't know, currency uh yeah um e even regulations licenses for things like everything's voluntary because at the end of the day um this is something keith and i talked about yesterday as well like at the end of the day uh every law is enforced at the at gunpoint which means it is a it's an act of violence um and there's the kind of libertarian perspective which is like that act of violence is justified only for certain things like protecting individual rights is what they would say and and right and so there's that that's kind of a, yeah, a it would be retaliatory violence right only retaliatory violence a good way to put it right um so if a murderer murders your family well the government can step in and murder the murderer or arrest him or whatever right um so that's kind of the libertarian perspective it's it's only a uh, retaliatory force is is permissible to the government and then there's the the voluntarist perspective is like actually none of it is is uh is acceptable in the hands of of government and there shouldn't even be retaliatory force so um well there would be retaliatory force but it wouldn't be a monopoly on it that's kind of the that's the contradiction. Yeah, sorry sorry not not yeah side. not not a monopoly right because right. like the libertarians are saying if someone does something wrong against me like someone tries to kill my family and then i choose how i'm going to retaliate against them uh then the government comes in and stops me and that's no that's no longer them just exercising retaliatory force yeah and i think but i think actually um i actually think in a in a free, we don't really know what a totally free society would look like and i know we're going off on a tangent but I actually think in a totally free society, there would be a lot less actual retaliatory force um, because you can accomplish a hell of a lot with social ostracism. So like if you imagine a, a network of contracts where like certain behavior is just massively socially ostracized um, to the point where like if I get convicted by some a group that I've kind of agreed to be a party to because 
let's say I, I have my gas and my electric and everything else to, to get normal services and get insurance and everything else. Like I've got to kind of agree to these voluntary rules voluntarily. Um, if I'm convicted of doing something horrible, like murdering someone, they can just shut me off and be like, you're not part of the society, which is, is kind of like, to me, the, the ultimate um, kind of uh, non-aggression principle way to deal with misbehavior in a society is social ostracism. And like, if you imagine a desert island where the like the three of us plus a few more people were on a desert island and and someone was uh, behaving badly, we could just ostracize them and be like, well, you like go to the other half of the island. Like, we're not gonna, you can't be part of our community anymore. Like that's that's the reaction. And that doesn't take force. We just don't have to interact with you anymore. The tricky part on that one are the people who don't think long-term enough for that to really incentivize them, right? Because old, I mean, if the person decides right. like, okay, well you ostracize me, so I'm just gonna come back at night and take your stuff, then eventually you're going to have to like basically kill that person. Yeah, well, if you catch them in the act, obviously you're gonna end up using defense. So, yeah. I right. think, are you guys describing the second season of Lost? I was gonna say like, yeah, I kind of want to rewatch that show with like um, this stuff more in mind. I mean, to me what this is, and this is something Carter and I've talked about on my channel, this is uh, not necessarily a thing to implement. This is a thing that we think would essentially spontaneously emerge if you had a very healthy, very moral culture. Um, and anything short of a very healthy, very moral culture, uh, this would be like a complete disaster. <laughs> like, right. I would absolutely, yeah, so if I could wave magic and make this happen today, like, I would not do it. That would be completely. Right. We have a very, yeah, we have a very sick culture, I think, at the moment, I would say. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. But I mean, that's what that, and, that, and that's, you know, we kind of said that, Katrina, you and I kind of talked about that very broadly, like politics generally is, I think we called it like an emergent property of culture. So like, you know, you can only, your culture is, uh, you need the culture necessary to support a particular political system. So. Um, you could you, you could even do minimal like even even just a libertarian position of like a very minimal government that just does like police and uh, court systems and like you know contract enforcement and that kind of stuff maybe a little bit of military to defend from actual threats not bombing the Middle East um, like if you if you actually had a small government tomorrow that problem there'd also be a period of disruption if you if you, you know, snapped your fingers and instantaneously the government was smaller there would be a period of uh, of lots of unrest because we don't live in a culture that takes like we don't have any sort of uh, personal responsibility for a large percentage of the population. So it, it would be a mess, right? What 40 something percent, 45, 40, 49 percent of the population doesn't pay income taxes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what percentage. I think a third of the population works for the some form of government like it, it would be a mess to implement immediately. It doesn't mean it's immoral to implement it immediately, but it certainly would be a mess. Um, and so that's why, you know, we're fighting the culture war more than any kind of political. Right. Advocating for this or that sort of policy. Yeah. And that's, what's gotten really frustrating with like the largely pointless sort of left, right dispute within the political spectrum. Right. Because it just seems like we always end up with the worst of both worlds. It's like, we're going to get, you know, to, to be oversimplistic and sound kind of lefty about it. We get tax cuts for the rich. We get more protections for corporations and personal freedom continues to be eroded. Yeah, no, absolutely. Pretty much. Uh, that's, you know, and, and uh, Carrie and I were talking about this earlier, right? But the, the, the traditional 
leftism, like the traditional liberalism that used to protect personal, uh, at least personal rights, even that's going away now from the left. So, um, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if it was ever about that. Well, I know it wasn't, and so do you, Katrina. Hey, <laughs> I don't mean I don't mean on the individual no, I level. No, I don't. I don't know what I what I know about that, but yeah, Oops, sorry. And I don't know either. I mean, it is it is kind of disturbing. Like one of the more disturbing things to me uh, to see is you know I've always been a you know hardliner on free speech, which is how I ended up getting hit on the head, um, and I do very much wonder like it, it just seems the more i dig into the history of free speech the less noble it starts to look um it starts to look a lot more like people who are interested in opening doors to uh basically destroying the moral underpinnings of the west um with like can you elaborate on that because uh... not too well <laughs> but it's a uh, basically it's a lot of people who are anti-christian um and, you know, the initial pushback was all kind of against blasphemy laws and things like that. But then what do you have now? You have blasphemy laws that protect the left. Uh, right? right. So it's starting to seem like, and granted, it's different people. Like, does this mean that's what Voltaire would have done if he had lived forever, like to this point? Like, I don't know. Um, but it may just mean that we're, you know, a as humans, we're not quite evolved enough to actually have this uh, ideal instituted. Um, and, you know, there, so things are going to end up being controlled like speech is going to end up being controlled by whoever's in power and so who do you want in power i mean the people who are encouraging people to have stable family units and to think about future generations or the people who think that the be all end all of the world is butt sex <laughs> so do you think that um do you sorry what was that sorry <laughs> we I, just, I just like the way you boiled that down um <laughs> Because I was the, you so, know, the people who believe in traditionalism is what I'm hearing, or the, you know, having that the purpose is to have families and to build a future, or people who believe in, um, I, I was postmodernism or hedonism or just nihilism. living for the moment, living for the moment. Yeah, like and, and me, me, me in a pleasure-oriented, short-term sort of sense. I mean, I, I don't know, like I don't, um, you know, I'm I'm not a traditionalist, um, really. Although to now I look like one, right? It's like everything shifted so far it's like me. i also want to clarify you're not homophobic like i i know you and your friends why would you say oh because i said butt sex. like lots everyone has yeah, like just, everyone has butt sex come on um, I know, but it's it, like people like, like talking, you know, using it yeah, as a yeah, yeah. for gay people, right? so i, yeah. I like <laughs> i like saying that ever since um i learned that you could really uh, uh piss off certain objectivists um by by bringing it up so this is oh really yeah, this is a thing oh, that I do. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Continue with your explanation of butt sex. Um, well, it's probably not the best thing for you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, um, I'm not a traditionalist, I think, on any important metric, right? It's like, I'm not a Christian. Uh, I am like the prototypical, I'd say, like career girl um and i you know also prototypically to that uh you know decided all of a sudden in my late 20s oh just kidding i want kids uh you know i out earn my husband like i there's just so many things that are like yeah this is not like hashtag trad life uh right i'm not a uh, vacuuming in pearls over here uh, or anything like that uh and yet i uh 
you know, not just, I thought part of it was like, oh, I live in San Francisco. That's why it seems like, you know, things are like this. But the more I've kind of gotten out, I'm like, no, it's sort of like this everywhere. I mean, it's less, uh, it's maybe less flamboyant about it, but it's the same kind of stuff, right? It's the same, like, it's the same short-term focus. It's the same, um, oh God, I, I hate to smear the word selfishness because I do have the whole like objectivist idea about selfishness, but like um, just very hedonistic, petty and short-sighted um, like view of the world. And, and I know it's going to come back to bite people, um, but you know, that that's not necessarily the solution, right? Like you want systems that are kind of self-correcting at kind of like a rapid pace. Um, you know, like you make little mistakes and then they kind of get corrected. And like right now we're kind of in the system that like encourages these mistakes to just pile up and pile up and pile up. Like you're talking about social security, right? And then it's just going to be like, boom, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. not good. And you can't, unfortunately, you can't just protect yourself from it, right? Like I used to think like, oh, people can do whatever they want and it'll just like hurt them. The consequences will accrue to them. Uh, and and that I'll would just be true in a free better. society, but not in this society. I think it couldn't, I mean, I don't think it would necessarily be true in a free society because it, but it depends on, I guess people who could actually achieve one and sustain one. I think it depends on vigilance, uh, right? And and our ability to be vigilant to, to bring it back to the fake news thing um, has been completely eroded, right? Because um, our, our world is global, right? And you, you know, humans can keep track of what is it supposed to be like 200 relationships well, um, and, and we're supposed to keep track of like the Royal family and we're supposed to keep track of like what's happening in like South Africa. And we're supposed to keep track of like what's going on with Trump and like different people and like in Gary Cohen, and we're supposed to know like all these names like Mueller and like, and Christine Blasey Ford and like all of these people. And they're all just like taking up space in your head where it's like, none of that is like, where does my food come from? Right. Like, where am I going to get fuel like to take care of my who can I trust like to take care of my family? Like, who's my doctor? Right. Like all this stuff, all this stuff has turned into like Yelp reviews and like uh, mm -hmm. news coverage and, and whatever. And it, it's going through all of these um, sort of narrow points. And then when someone gains power over those narrow points, they can warp reality for like vast swaths of the population. So even if you want to, like you're asking like, how do I get my news? And I have to honestly say like, I don't because like there isn't a solution to this, right? Not without a ridiculous amount of legwork, like your friend trying to create a metal tool from nothing in the woods. Uh, you know, it, uh, it can't, no, frankly, it can't be analogy. done. Such a great analogy. So I'm. Um, by the way, do either of you know the book, um, The Road to Somewhere by David Goodhart? I don't. Oh, I'm someone in the chat. No, okay. Someone was someone was asking about it in the chat. Um, we'll look it up later. But uh, you know the um, Katrina, I've got a question for you. So you made the statement. Uh, I think uh, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of like, basically, humans aren't kind of ready to have. Uh, how did you want to? You talking? You were talking about freedom of speech, and and you're kind of like, maybe they're not ready for this exactly. Like you should be supporting people who want kind of traditional values in some sense because humans aren't don't have the personal responsibility thing down yet is that i don't know we're not evolved enough yeah i, I don't know like i this is i'm just be clear i'm undecided <laughs> i am not endorsing this i'm just saying i'm seeing the case made more and more and i'm perturbed by how persuasive it is based on so okay so i know i i i it's perturbs me as well, but there's a, there's an out 
if you are willing to be an elitist snob, which I will right now for- well, Are we gonna I'll, go I'll all Elysium? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm gonna ask like, uh, I think I some people are, right? And I think that's what's frustrating. Some people are evolved enough to not give a crap about policing their neighbor's lives and and telling them what they can and can't say and accepting personal responsibility. And what's frustrating is um, for those of us who are, we don't have a way to get away from everyone else who maybe whether or not they need to be uh, you know, managed like farm animals, I don't know, but we're all managed like farm. And I, and I don't mean that necessarily disparagingly for them. We're all managed like farm animals. We're part of a tax farm, right? China has come up with a really good tax farm model. Uh, I think they've outdone the US in terms of like getting tax farm going. Um, it doesn't mean that they're moral uh, at all, but uh, you know, we, we live in this, this world that views individuals as um, resources for a state. And the question becomes like how to maximize those resources. And if that means like give people a little more freedom over in Shenzhen so they start producing stuff because communism actually sucks, we'll just tax them and, and you know, then, then fine, that's what they do. And um, the problem is in a world like that, people who actually uh, have the ability to be responsible for themselves and don't wanna tell other people what to do, they can't escape it. Um, do you think there's going to be a bifurcation? Like, are we all going to move to Montana and put up a big wall around Montana and be like, all right, we're going to be here. You guys do the rest, do what you want. Um, we're going to be over here doing our thing. Or are we just going to get uh, swept up and destroyed by the tide of kind of crazy collectivism? Right. I think that's probably going to happen. I hope it's not in Montana because it's really hard to farm in Montana. Um, the, the separation um okay. i don't think it's going to be a peaceful one and it's not possible until the u.s empire completely collapses um so this is going to be okay. one of the things that will probably come out of the uh you know inevitable horrific uh, civil war part two um that will be right. the end of the u.s empire uh, right now uh you like as you say you know we're all tax animals like we're not allowed to leave the farm um right so right you can't go anywhere in the world without the IRS coming after you. Right. Um, you. You can renounce your citizenship, but then you're kind of screwed. You can never come back and all this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, even like, the whole idea of like, oh, are we gonna get everyone and go like, you know, take over Vermont? Or are we gonna go get an island and put all the libertarian? Like people have talked about it before. Part of the reason it hasn't happened is just things are too good. Like they're too comfortable, um, right? Like people aren't motivated. And it wouldn't, that's the thing is like, it would suck, right? Like it would pick all that stuff oh, yeah. up and go, you're not gonna have a nice life there um no no this. so it's gonna have to wait until things just suck all around first of all and then second of all so that the people who would want us currently um resource not real resources it's debt but <laughs> huh yeah are you now a collapsitarian because i'm sensing a vibe um i didn't even heard that word before um oh no I, I think that i mean i don't i feel like there's no like as far as the u.s empire collapsing and all of that i mean there's no question that, I like, think a collapsitarian is someone who's just like thinks it's going to happen, so they're just going to help facilitate it as fast as possible. Oh, uh, the acceleration like, they're is for Yang. They're like, yeah, a thousand bucks. So, a month, I was going to bring that up, yeah, because this is where this is what the end stages of the system look like, right? Because people are now forced to the people with the longer time pre preferences. Uh, it's now become irrational to have a longer time preference. 
Wait, what do you mean? Right. Longer time preferences. So if like the people who are thinking about like the way future who'd like don't want to incur a lot of debt, who are like, oh, I want to like build something and invest and like leave something for future generations and all of that. We've got we pushed it to the point where that's now irrational. That if you do uh, actually harming your family, right? So um, people have to respond to the incentives that are actually there in the system um, because otherwise you're like right now, especially I think you're in the position, it would just be kind of a pointless sacrifice, right? Like you could, um, so yeah, that I think that is why you're seeing a lot of people whose preference uh, would be for uh, basically volunteerist type capitalism um, or traditional Americanism or, you know, whatever, who like to earn a living and don't want welfare and don't want any of that stuff who are, yeah, totally yang gang um, now because like, why, like, first of all, we have to like confront the choices that are actually there. This is the issue with, with the Trump Hillary election, right? It's like your choices are not Hillary versus potential ideal candidate, <laughs> right? Your, your choice is tr Hillary or Trump. So like we have to deal with reality in front of us and the future, our choices between Yang and, you know, maybe AOC or something like that. Uh, or Bernie I was or whatever, hoping whatever. you wouldn't say that name. Sorry. <laughs> I, well, you know, I try not to say horse face, whatever you, uh, occasional cortex, whatever you want me to call her. Um, but those Ooh, are occasional cortex. I haven't heard. That's, that's a good one. I just, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so, so those are actually your choices and, you know, to, I, I don't know a ton about this yin gang stuff. I just kind of, to me, it's just like a meme, whatever, but my, but the idea of basically just give everyone a thousand dollars a month, no strings attached, universal basic income kind of thing. That is actually a much, much better idea than what we currently do. It's a much better idea. There are way fewer externalities when you do that. And there is way less overhead. So we're, you know, part of the issue, like you said, is like, how do we wean like 25, 30% of the population off of the government teat because they work for the government, right? Like they think they have a job and they're being productive, but they work for the government. How do you navigate that, right? It's the same kind of question when we ended slavery, right? Do you want to end slavery via a civil war that kills millions of people, including a lot of the slaves that you're like allegedly trying to help? Uh, or do you want to find uh, a, you know, maybe morally icky, but stable way to transition uh, between right. these states, right? That causes less harm and destruction and death and whatever. And so maybe in the end, that is more moral. Um, to me, that's kind of what you're looking at. It's like, yeah, if we, you know, are we going to go uh, right now, we have a situation, right? As far as like welfare stuff goes, we are incentivizing people to have children out of wedlock. Uh, and if they have children to remain out of wedlock, it, and not even just like not in wedlock, but even living together, right? Even if you're technically not married, you can't, if you have the father of your child living in the house with you, you get less money, right? Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. And if you do, hey, everybody gets a thousand bucks a month, don't care, you know, maybe you get more for having kids. Maybe we're still incentivizing people to have more kids or something like that. But at least it's like, hey, but now it's cheaper if you live together. You know, with the now there's there's no there's no incentive to make sure that you live in a one parent home. Right. There's no incentive away. not to go back to work. Right. There's a really huge gap. Um, I forget it, the last time someone updated the numbers to see where it is, but there actually is a, there's a certain level of income you would need to be able to achieve before it even makes sense to go off of welfare and food stamps. It's, it's a big gap. Day. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a level that's like not achievable IQ wise for a lot of people. Right. So as far as making people into cattle, that's like the worst thing you can do. Um, so, you know, a thousand bucks a month also means, hey, you want to live on a thousand bucks a month? You can. 
you can live in a trailer in South Carolina and live on a thousand bucks a month and like, you know, right. eat like cheap food. And like, if that's what you want to do, like drink cheap beer, whatever, hang out, do that. Fine. You can do that. I can confirm as a South Carolinian. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> My family's from there. Not me, but, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, you, you could do that. Like, but there's also, if you want a little extra money, like even if it's 50 bucks extra, you know, you're going to go wash some windows. There's, you know, no incentive not to do that. <laughs> Um, if you can simplify, but I don't think he's talking about getting rid of welfare. That would be good. I think he's just adding this on top of everything else. I'm not sure. No, I think he's. I thought he was talking about getting rid of it. I mean, too. I thought because I have a friend who oh, okay. Carter's the one who told me about collapsitarianism and people supporting Yang, ironically. But I, I have a couple friends who I was surprised they were Yang gang or whatever, and they're and I asked them, and and because they're. I, I just never thought they would be supporting someone that's on the left. And they said, no, they actually support him for real because of what you're talking about, that giving people a thousand dollars a month, as crazy as that sounds is better than our current system of what we're doing. So it's we know it's been tried. We know like it's been tried in a number of places and it's been kind of AB tested. So we know that it's not any worse, right? Like I don't think it's a good idea in the long term. Um, it's still not something that I approve of. It still has, you know, negative incentives and other problems with it. But yeah, it has less problems. I mean, you know, my training is in economics and externalities are the killer, right? Like that's like the big, the big issue. Uh, and that happens anytime you interfere, like there are externalities related to this, but if there are fewer of them, you're going to have not only a healthier system in the here and now, but you're also going to have a system that you can more easily change without this like house of cards, you know, kind of collapse, um, and causing people a bunch of harm and pain. Cause I am sympathetic to all this. Like I'm sympathetic to the people with the school loans, right. I'm sympathetic to the people who are lied to the media brainwashing, the public school brainwashing. You know, I'm not one of those people who's just like, well, like you should lift yourself up by the bootstraps and blah, 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 whatever. It's like, at this point, you know, people have been churned through this meat grinder uh, in our culture that like, there's, there's no recovering from it directly right like there's no recovery for like this generation there's no like millennials just need to get it together and like get tough and like whatever like people will get tough um you know some people won't and they won't fare very well but it's the kind of thing that needs like generational turnover um to like really recover um and it's just it's really painful and it's not something people are going to jump into voluntarily so you just kind of have to wait till um you know, it gets too bad. <laughs> Things fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's a waiting game right now, which is frustrating. So you think if Yang could, which I'm not sure he could, but if you think, if you think if he could eliminate welfare and replace it with 1k a month UBI, that would maybe help future generations. If Yang had the magic wand to do that, I would like 100% support him. I think it would be an incredible solution. Unfortunately, I don't think it's actually possible. I think, I think what he wants to do is that I think like you said, what probably would actually happen is this is just something that gets tacked onto the current system. I mean, that's what we're seeing with Trump, right? I'm, I have no doubt that Trump is a better negotiator, more politically savvy, a more competent leader than Yang would be. And he looked like what he's managed to get done, right? It's like I said earlier, it's kind of like the worst of both worlds in a lot of ways. Now, I don't want to totally hit on it, one of my goals for the Trump presidency was getting conservatives on the Supreme Court. That's well underway. Uh, the other thing I really wanted to see happen was to see the media destroyed, um, you know, see their credibility completely destroyed. And we're there. Well, like, watch it today. I we're mean, there. Yeah, we're just waiting. 
Yeah. I mean, you can, you can uh, look at my evolution over the past two years and see those things have come to fruition or, or just in terms of not trusting the media. So I'm no, I didn't vote for Trump. Um, I just voted for the first Republican in my life this past November, but um, yeah, I've come a long way in two years. I'll put it that way. I no longer think when he was elected, I was, I was saying what everyone in my circles are saying, Oh, we've elected a demagogue and what's going to happen. And how will we tell the children? And now I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that it wasn't Clinton that won, you know, yeah. looking back on it. So. Anyway. Yeah, definitely still better. I mean, I I'm in a lot of ways, pretty black pilled on Trump myself, but uh, it's still better. Right. I mean, it's like no question that it's better. And um, so I'm not that much of an accelerationist, I guess. <laughs> Okay. Oh, is that the term accelerationist? That's uh, what I hear, but yeah, it might be. Okay. I, it sounds like it means the same thing. Yeah, it sounds like this it. conversation is making Laura want to day drink. Um, I day drank for the first time in a long yeah. time recently, um, having had a baby and all of that stuff. Uh, it was a terrible decision. I completely regret it. Alcohol is poison. Uh, I, I don't endorse it. <laughs> Laura, day drink some uh, nice, refreshing, sparkling water. <laughs> yeah, I think she. I think what she needs, though, is. Uh, she, I think I imagine what Laura is alluding to is uh, she needs to. Uh, she needs to forget a little bit about this. It's too. It's too anxiety producing. I mean, I don't want to think about. Uh, I don't. No one wants to think about the collapse and the fact that it's. You know, I. I don't. I'm not 100% convinced that it's unavoidable, but I'm close. And even if it's not avoidable. Uh, I still think it's valuable to fight the culture war because you're pulling more people to the right side for that, which will, which you'll need um, post collapse. But uh, yeah, absolutely. No, know. now this is the thing. It's always like, you got to think far enough ahead. Right. So there are a lot of people whose heart is in the right place, but what they're trying to do is like, let's pull things back 10 years or let's pull things back 20 years or like, let's just get rid of like the worst of the worst fringe kind of thing on the left. And what you really need to be thinking about is, you know, like I said, it's this generational turnover, like you need to be planting the seeds now, right? So having this conversation now having this conversation about volunteerism, or what, like what principles like should undergird the new society that's going to emerge, because something's going to emerge, right? And and I certainly yeah. hope that it's, you know, something um, that I see as, you know, more true to the core American spirit. Um, but you know, maybe not, but at least the stuff's out there. Uh, right. This is the time to be writing books. Most importantly, this is the time to be having children, having children and raising children. I mean, and, that and is the way out of school. on your values without school. Yeah. Just to be clear, don't put them in school, yeah. any kind of school, really, but especially not public school. Uh, but yeah, now is the time to, um, you know, and, and I'm not talking about like, oh, hoard canned goods and like whatever. Like, I mean, that stuff's important. Like that stuff matters. But like if your kids are alive, but their, you know, brains and souls are empty, you haven't accomplished anything, right? Like you're it's probably hurt us. You, yeah, you're, you're probably making things worse. Like you, the most important resource is human minds, right? Human ingenuity, creativity, and our resilience. And these are the things that have been eroded and that are eroded so badly by public school, right? Even if you actually get a good education in public school, just the nature of the structure uh, really harms um, like the potential of humans to be, uh gosh what would i say like to be well certainly to be creative, or, yeah 
Right, exactly. To, sell, to to reshape the world in in what they want it to be, right? So you need to preserve that ability in your children, and then and then you need to guide it along the right path, right? I mean, it's not um, it doesn't have to be authoritarian or anything like that. I'm not advocating for like you know sending your kids to Sunday school and like whipping them with like a wet noodle or whatever. But like you need you you know there was a while where parents had this idea of like we just we we make a nice garden bed and then we we give the kids what they need like in terms of material things and then we just let them explore and decide who they are and that's how you get a blue-haired communist for a kid yeah you know? and right. like you need to like take seriously your value because if you believe in your values you think they're right you think they're best for you and they're best for the world why the hell wouldn't you pass it on to your children right uh, i've been saying that so i i have friends who are and people i know who i'm close with who are still raising their kids this way like in the um you know, a friend who's like, I'm, as soon as my, my baby is old enough to understand, um, what the pastor is saying, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let, uh, it's grandparents take it to church anymore because I want it to be able to decide on its own. It's like, well, no, you're pretty much deciding then you're deciding something, you know, you're saying, yeah, no, you exactly. can't hear that. So I don't know. It's, uh, I, I'm glad, you know, you, you, you said, uh, you found out in your late twenties that you decided, Hey, I want to have kids and stuff. Late twenties is, it's not that late. Imagine being in 40. <laughs> so. I have so much sympathy for it. I mean, I work with all kinds of women like in, in that situation, you know, I mean, um, and it's, it's really heartbreaking because people were lied to. Right. I mean, totally. um, they're lied to about like what they would care about and what was important. Um, and it was all to turn women into more tax cattle. I mean, this is the sad thing. It's not like like women at home, women in the workplace, blah, blah, blah. This wasn't about like liberating or giving women more choice. This was about capturing the labor that women do and turning it into something they could quantify that would increase GDP and that would be taxable. Um, instead of like, what you think women weren't doing labor before? You think they weren't contributing things in the home? You think it's not like an incredible intellectual exercise for me to try and like structure my day with the kid and, um, you know, figure out like how to like get her all the things that she needs and also like keep the house in order and like, you know, build a barn, uh, you know, like build a, like tend the garden, you know, take care of our animals, like all of this stuff that like we have to do. Um, you think like I, I do like what it, Agatha Christie said that the best time to write a book was while washing dishes, right. Or come up with an idea for a book was while washing dishes. That's like a hundred percent true. Uh, you know, I like, my mind is so active when I'm like doing chores, uh, you know, when now, not when I'm super sleep deprived, which I must admit <laughs> happens a lot with the kid. Um, but this is not like, it's not these either or kinds of things. And especially if you tackle homeschooling, right. I mean, when people are like, Oh, I just be so bored at home. It's like, really because you're probably doing it wrong now not don't not lying like sometimes it's boring at the beginning I was kind of bored out of my mind because the kid just lies there and you're like what's going on it's, uh... but like it gets interesting fast um and you know it, and it, anything you do it's like as interesting as you make it you know I mean I, I feel like some to some extent it's like this perpetual quest for the short-term pleasures and the entertainment has you know poisoned the career path too because like how many people do you see who are really uh you know really drive drive it through on their career like to completion right um people have become very ADD about that as well it's like you you do all this work you invest in something you work at it hard at it for three years and then it's like oh, I'm gonna do something else Mm -hmm. Right. Cause yeah. like, ah, it's not fulfilling. It's like, well, is it supposed to be fulfilling? Like it's called work. <laughs> yeah. I've started to think of, as, about a lot of these same things about, you know, once you've doubled the workforce, 
So you've added women into the workforce. Not that women shouldn't be allowed to work before anyone takes this the wrong way. I'm just saying once you've doubled they the work, <laughs> but they, uh, they, they already work. Yes. They had jobs. Just they already had jobs. Sorry. But once you've doubled the workforce, then you can cut wages in half. So now it takes yeah. two parents to support the household where, you, you know, it used to take one out there working in that way. I know what you're saying, but working in that way. And so, and then you've got both parents coming home exhausted and having to do, now you've got two people who have to do everything, who have to go out, work, bring home dollars, and then come home and cook and clean. You've got other people raising their kids during the day, whether that's and the- Suddenly they're okay with other people raising their kids and asking for the state to help, which is uh, like now this thing that's part of the, the discussions, like state, like the state actually providing childcare services. Right. It was first, it was school. Then it was like, well, we need also like kindergarten. Then we need pre-kindergarten. Now we need daycare, like starting from day one or companies are providing it as well to keep the women working. Right. And um, the really like toxic thing about that, like you're saying, you, like you need both incomes, but you also need to pay now for childcare. So you need to drive down that price as much as possible, which is why you have this incentive for the cheap immigrant labor um, right. Or people paying nannies under the table and stuff like that, or cramming kids into daycare, the correct ratio of like caretaker to child when a child is uh, in their like first year of life or really first two years of life is basically one to one. And like right. virtually no one, almost no one does that. Um, I know very few people who do that. And then on top of that, that caretaker needs to be consistent, right? Like they, they need to not change out. You can get away with like two caretakers to one baby. Uh, mo that's like the minimum um, ratio that's like required to get like an adequate rating from like the, the whatever body it is that rates daycares. Um, there, I think it's less than 15% of daycares meet that qualification. The vast, vast majority oh. of them taking care of babies, right? I mean, they've got like, you know, five, six, seven babies per, per caretaker. Right. Oh, you mean the minimum is two babies to one caretaker? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, two well, babies. And, uh, look, I, I in addition to that, though, I mean, even if you had one-to-one -one caretaker to baby, um, most of or a large percentage of personality development happens really early. And if you want to, if you want to instill your values, and if you want to have an actual connection with your child, so maybe they'll listen to you as a teenager, or they'll exhibit behavior that you um, that is in line with your values when they're older. You've got a limited window to do that. You can't just like. You can't quit your job when your kid's 10 and be like, oh, now that they're about to go into puberty, I'm going to go make sure that they've got my values. Like, it's too freaking late. Like, my daughter's nine. It's too late. She yeah, is what absolutely. she is. Like, I either screwed it up or I didn't. I like, do wonder. I add trauma now, but I can't do a lot to correct any, you know, direction. I do wonder if this is part of the reason why this move toward um, this, like, sort of hands-off parenting style kind of evolved because yeah you do need the trust of the kid and like we had a brief like you know it really was just a couple days but there was a time recently and I, I'm still not 100% sure why it happened but for some reason um, you know my daughter seemed to not be trusting me and my husband quite as much um, as she had before and it was like such a palpable difference and it made me like totally panicked it made you know, just going about our day more difficult because everything I did stressed her out, uh, you know, and I think it probably was like a normal phase of development. Like, I think she kind of just got to the point where she was realizing like, oh, people leave sometimes. Right. And they like, don't always come back. Cause we had like a visitor, right. Who she like kind of enjoyed and then they were gone. 
Um, so she started freaking out every time someone left the room and things like that. I mean, these are like at the very, even when everything goes well, right. Even when there's like a parent around all the time, even when you create like a perfect stable environment as much as possible, just the act of growing up and maturing is almost inherently traumatic. Like, you know, like it's, oh, it's yeah, hard. Absolutely. It's a lot. It's a lot that yeah. they go through. Like imagine, you know, people don't think about this stuff. They don't really like, like, I mean, well, I try to think about it with public school. I'm like, can you imagine like if someone was like, Hey, go sit in this chair and hold still for eight hours to me now as an adult and <laughs> be like, no, what do you think? Right. Like, I couldn't do that now. That. Yeah. And I supposed to do it Ask as a for kid, permission right? if you have to go to the bathroom. It's right. Like, really? And you think about it with like your little like babies and stuff. And it's like, well, imagine like not knowing that, you know, like time, like imagine not understanding when someone says, I'll be right back, like not knowing what that means. Right. And like, for all, you know, they disappear and they're gone from the world, like forever. Like, imagine if that was your world. Right. Um, and then I think about, you know, poor little babies being put into daycare and I'm just like, oh my God, I just can't like, imagine how bad it erodes the bond. Cause like, like little, like, I don't mean to say it's like super delicate, like you get through it. Like, you know, you stay focused on it and like, you know, they, if they, if something starts to like kind of threaten the bonds, you can re be responsive and fix it, but not if your kid's in daycare. Cause you might not even know that it happened. You might not even know the difference because you've already like damaged the bond so much. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's like later, like, well, you can try and instill your values in the kid, but like, good luck. Cause like that fundamental right. trust isn't there. And it's not just not there with you, by the way, it's not there for them for every relationship for the rest of their life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're gonna have kids, uh, someone should be staying home with them. And if you can't do that, don't have kids. Not that I don't want there to be more kids. I actually, I agree that we should be having more children, but uh, I don't think more children thrown to daycare is helpful. No, no, that's not so. helpful at all. Yeah, Laura's just mentioning all the extra things you have to have too. Like with two working parents, you need two cars um yep. as well and then the other thing is adding more children is like more expensive right so if you're putting your kids in private school or in daycare you're they don't let you get two for the price of one right you have to pay like again right. but if you're staying home and you're homeschooling it's a one-time thing right it costs you something for one parent to stay home it costs a lot like especially if you have a high income you know like like my husband and i do but you know, once you've done that, once you've like figured out how to make life work in that way, like you could have 10 kids and it's not going to make much of a difference. Like it's just more food yeah. basically. Um, and yeah, you don't have to drive around everywhere. Another interesting thing I heard about recently that um, was like incentivizing people not to have as many children when they do is like the car seat laws, which are totally out of control. You have to be in a car seat till you're like 10 now. Um, so in a normal car, five seater car, you really? can't fit, um, you can't put the car seat in the front right? It has to be in the back. Um, and you generally can't fit um, in a typical sedan, you can't fit three, you can really only fit two. Um, and you know, if you want to re have replacement rates for the population, people need to have on average slightly more than two kids. So there's a really like a lot of um, just kind of weird stuff, like incentivizing people to like stop at two. Um, I, you just made me think about my cousin. Um, she has 19 children. And they, Whoa. we've talked about this. They're all single birth. She, she has a TV show now. It's called, um, she, her first TV show was called uh, United Bates of America. And the new one's called uh, Bringing Up Bates. It's on the Up Network. And I used, back when I was in SJW, I was so judgmental because I, I grew up, she's my older cousin and um, I really looked up to her and admired her. And then, you know, she went this one kind of way after, after she got out of college, which was this traditional 
um, Christian route and I went this other way. And so I was, I was kind of like judgmental and like, oh, she homeschools them. And they're, uh, you know, they're so judgmental, just as if I knew everything. And now that I've gone through this kind of change in belief, I look at her and I'm like, thank God for her. You know, <laughs> like I may not have done everything the same way she's doing it. And I may, but, but those kids, you can tell are happy. Um, those kids are well adjusted. They have a good connection to family. Like um, all those things I predicted about completely wrong. And, um, and I used to look at her and, and kind of joke about how I didn't want kids, you know, cause a lot of people in my SJW world are very, they look down on women who want children. It's, it's sort of this thing where you just make fun of as if it's, as if it's, a, um, as if it's somehow in, indicative of you being like, less intelligent or less, I don't know, just like this thing that you shouldn't, this is an old fashioned thing. Why would you want that? Right. And so, um, I used to have this kind of like, sort of like sneering attitude about it and like, well, I don't need to have any kids. Cause my cousins had 19, you know, she's had 19 and, uh, but now I'm like, gosh, like, I wish I could, I just, I, I'm at that point at 40. Imagine finding out at 40 where it's like, I do think the most purposeful purposeful thing you could do is to have a child and to, um, and like you said, make sure that child's soul and mind is full, not empty. And so, um, anyway, I'm rambling now, but she's got 19. Oh, you made me think about this because of the car seat rules. They had a bus. They had to get a bus. <laughs> yep. they, got, they got one. They got a family bus. Kind of cool. anyway. Yeah. We have a family in our neighborhood who have eight kids, um, which is not the most. I, I was friends with a couple of families growing up that had 12. Um, I never actually saw how they drove them around, but yeah, they basically have, they have a giant van uh, that they do. But of course you homeschool, you don't have to go in it that much. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and they do whatever. Yeah. And you know, it's like whole family. every way that you raise the kid is going to have some sort of consequences. Like there's upsides and downsides to all of it. And you can't even predict it all because you don't know what personalities are necessarily going to come out, right? You have kids close together and maybe they become best friends and it's amazing. Or maybe they have terrible sibling rivalry and, you know, and you have to deal with that. You have kids far apart and maybe the older kid wants to be very nurturing and teach you the younger kid, or maybe they're just bored by them you know, because they're too young and like, they don't have a close relationship at all. Um, you have a ton of kids, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the, some of the kids, uh, realize it's, it's difficult to get enough attention from adults. And maybe that makes them kind of introverted and like, you know, a little bit, um, you know, not, not used to interacting, uh, with adults, you know, and, and kind of focused internally, like on their younger siblings or something like that. Um, uh, maybe you do have a middle child symptom, you know, maybe the, the kids feel like they don't have enough attention. On the other hand, you know, you have a single child and then all of their entertainment has to come from the adults. Um, and adults can't play the way that kids do. Um, they can't come with the same energy and the same imagination. Right. And they'll get tired of it as much as they love the kid. Right. Uh, I will say, when I was a kid, if a kid was homeschooled, I could tell. Um, as an adult, I have never spotted a homeschooled person. Um, like when they are an adult, I mean. Um, I have okay. not, um, but I can spot an only child as an adult, uh, generally, not 100% of the time. Um, so personally, I do think it is, you know, it's not child abuse, but it is very important to give your kid a sibling, at least one sibling. Um, no, sorry, Carter. <laughs> um, no, Hey, I mean, uh, I, I would have, if I have... could have, and, and I'm not done. You never know. Right. Uh, um, but it's a release. That's a, re that's a one-time deal. And it's not up to you, right? Like you only get a sibling if your parents decide to give you one. And it's a relationship that teaches you a lot and that you can never duplicate. 
Um, so I do strongly advocate for having at least two. Um, but whether you decide to have 10 or you stop at two, it's like, you know, what, a, like it, that depends on kind of personal preference and like so many other things to me. Yeah. Yeah. 19 though, man. <laughs> Holy cow. She's got this system where you have 19 though. So there you go. Yeah. She has this system where every, um, baby when got like an older sibling as a partner Aww. so that so that you had a helper it's like mom is responsible for you but also your specific helper is responsible for helping you get dressed and brush your teeth before the family goes out so everybody was like partnered up that's interesting that's so funny yeah i, I it is definitely interesting the way that like kids will like learn from like older mm -hmm. siblings versus the way that they'll learn from their parents yeah. it's definitely different um i just found recently you know because of course with my I want, to, I will have more, but my, you know, my first is effectively an only child right now. And we just recently went to a children's museum. Um, we don't, we don't go out a lot because she doesn't love the car. Right. Um, but we decided to, to go try that out and with some other baby mama friends of ours. And uh, yeah, like she was different. Like the week we came back, she benefited enormously from seeing just slightly older kids moving around. Um, instead of just seeing adults, she came back with so much more confidence. She came back trying things that I hadn't seen her try before. Um, you know, she's right around the time, like she's just, she's, she's done first steps, you know, first words, like that kind of thing happening. Um, she was like a different baby there, um, you know, for a bit, it was just like a big jump in her, her development. So I really do think that that, um, you know, exposure is important um to kind of yeah. seeing not just seeing what your parents are like not just seeing what you know adult because adults are just kind of one big giant category of like adult right who are so far removed from a kid that I think it can be hard for them sometimes to see like you know how do I get from where I am to where they are uh, but when they see a kid who's like two years old when they're one year old they're like oh like you know I can like walk from here to there instead of crawl like maybe I'll try that yeah yeah this went real long. Katrina, I, I think been <laughs> no, a really I, good conversation. I really like but, where it ended up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, I mean, I, it, it veered off course, but we didn't really have a course. I really appreciate you being the uh, fill-in for Mike Cernovich. Hopefully, uh, we'll have him on later today, and we'll tweet when we do that. But uh, this is it's always a fun conversation with you, Katrina, and I'm glad that uh, you were able to come on and do it. And uh, and I'd love to have you yeah, back maybe, anytime. That was fun. Yeah, we sure, can I'd talk about it, we can intentionally talk about some of this stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, sometimes it's good to go, you know, where the mood takes you. But uh, structure is good too. Like I said, I'm I'm, I'm part German, so I <laughs> uh, I am well suited to structure. <laughs> yes. Also, that makes you a Nazi. But well, uh, that's the well, only thing that makes me a Nazi, though. Just to be clear. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you again, Katrina. Um, Thanks everyone for watching. You can follow us at Unsafe Space on Twitter, which you should, because we'll tweet out when Cernovich is on later today. Uh, you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, Unsafe Space, which you should, because you'll get an alert when Cernovich is on live today later. And uh, go to unsafespace.com, subscribe. And uh, like I said, thanks again, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.